podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coop Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us, gang. Week seven of the NFL season rolling into view, as is Mr. Jeff Darlington Esquire back for another appearance on the show. Cannot wait to get into some of the big games, big matchups this weekend with Jeff, including the biggie, Titan Steelers. Something's got to give. Jeff will break that down and some of the other heavyweight clashes coming your way. But if one guest wasn't enough for you, well, you're in the right place because we're doubling down. Hannah Wilkes of Sky Sports fame, making her season debut on the show. Looking forward to catching up with her about her brand new show on Sky Sports NFL Overtime. And we'll get into some of the big stories of the week with her as well, including Miami's decision to go with Tua and bench Fitz, which hasn't gone exactly down well with Fitz Magic. Lots of other stories we'll get into Hannah with as well and maybe sneak in one or two picks from the week seven slate if we have time. But let's get straight down to business with the brilliant Jeff Darlington. Jeff, good to have you back on the show, man. How's life? Yeah, man, it's going well. Thanks for having me back on. We We have a... A really good, actually, a really good weekend of games this weekend. I feel yeah, like things are starting to kind of, kind of heat up a little bit. Well, big time. There are a couple of crackers that we're going to get into with you. Before we do, though, before we preview some of the big games this weekend, breaking news as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon: Yannick Ngonkwe yeah. on the move again. Tell us more about this deal. Well, what's interesting about it is that um, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars had traded uh, Ngonkwe over to the Vikings second round pick in a conditional fifth, the Vikings, not much, you know, half a season later are now trading him uh, to the Ravens and they're getting a third round pick and a conditional fifth. So they're kind of losing around with one of their picks. Seems very strange. But the one thing I'd point out here is that he is on a one-year deal. Uh, Basically, this was the final year of his contract. So if the Vikings felt like they weren't going to be able to re-sign him, it actually was smart of them to try to get as much as possible. So a decent return, but it does make you question why they did it in the first place. I, I suppose maybe they just expected um, maybe a little bit more of a successful season than they're yeah, up to right now. Exactly. I guess that, that that's answered to the most part. My follow-up question is this, the, the Vikings throwing in the towel on this season then? I mean, it, it feels like it uh, to a degree. I, I mean, I shouldn't say entirely because again, you're going to have to pay him a pretty massive contract up 80, $90 million dollars uh, so if, if you're not fully convinced on a guy and you can get that kind of return, go for it. So to a degree, it doesn't feel like they're all in, that's for sure. But, mm. uh, but that said, I understand the idea of maybe hedging your, your loss a little bit here. Yeah, and uh, their loss is the Ravens game, uh, of course. And he's had five sacks, incidentally, so far this season. So it's yeah. not as if he's been a bust, if that is right. the conclusion some people are drawing. So interesting news developing. But let's get down uh, to business uh, this weekend specifically. I want to start with the game of the weekend, no doubt about it, the Steelers-Titans. Um, oh, and talk about, first of all, in terms of wider context, the, the Steelers. When you look at the Ravens, you can apply this to as well. Those teams in the NFL that, adhere to continuity and build an identity that they maintain through different incarnations. I mean, the Steelers case, they've changed head coaches twice in 51 years. Ridiculous stat. Why don't more teams look at the importance of continuity and look at pretty much every team that continues to succeed in the NFL, Jeff, and realize what the secret is and and try and adhere to that themselves? Well, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that's just easier said than done. I mean, if you look at what Mike Tomlin did out of the gates, he was successful immediately. So 
having continuity is a little bit easier when you have success that goes parallel with it. Uh, I think that teams do have sometimes too short of a leash with somebody. Uh, you, you might get rid of them before they have a chance to fully change the culture within an organization. The Steelers definitely do maintain patience with their people, but I would say more importantly, they, they, they just pick the right people. But the Steelers are a, it's a great point you make, and Tomlin's a, a great example because he did have success early on, but then it hasn't in the last few years necessarily been going to plan. Sure. I mean, he's been a coach that gets criticized a lot, uh, you know, tactically at times in terms of you know, decision-making, clock management, and criticism thrown at him. And while I don't think he's been on the hot seat per se, he's definitely been criticized in, in certain quarters, but the Steelers stuck with. That's kind of the, um, this is maybe not necessarily a, a fair comparison, but if the, the Lions look at someone like Matt Patricia, right, who right. is under even more pressure than, than Tomlin's been in recent years, hasn't won anything, should the Lions, who've been an organization that have been, underperforming for decades should they be thinking all right let's just give him a few more years let's build, <laughs> give him time to build the, an identity here as opposed to chopping and changing every two three years because it's a coach coming into a, a losing culture and right and an environment you, you like really you really want me to get in trouble with lions fans don't you by saying <laughs> that he deserves a few more years yeah look i have a tough time saying matt patricia deserves a few more years and and i think that the the argument there is that he never had success as a head coach. When it comes to Mike Tomlin, you can at least sort of say, we know what he's capable of doing. Mm. And, and maybe he's had trouble getting back to that sort of level. But, you know, when you kind of analyze some of the things that he had gone through with Ben Roethlisberger's injury, with Le'Veon Bell's contract situation, with Antonio Brown's antics, you start to say, okay, we can understand. Tomlin had success. This is why he didn't. We expect him to get back to it. With Matt Patricia, the resume just isn't there yeah. to, to try to, to fall back on that. I understand what you're saying in terms of having patience with somebody, allowing them to build an organization. I just think that it's also very difficult when you just have nothing to sort of hang your hat on. Okay, well, talk about if Matt Patricia is, is, is maybe not projecting as the Lions had hoped. Mike Vrabel absolutely is, uh, as far yeah. as the Titans are concerned. And we didn't talk about it much on the show earlier in the week. The, the genius of the maneuver he pulled when they were playing Houston in week six, right. trailing with three and change to go. And he, and he pulled, put 12 men on the field to drew the intentional foul. And even if you look back at the footage, Jeff, even some of his players are looking around like, what's going on? Like, we've yep. made a mistake here. But of course, it was all completely calculated, premeditated, a, a genius move, a Belichickian move, wasn't it? Belichickian move, exactly. Very much uh, his, his, you know, the person he played for and Bill, Bill Belichick. And, um, you know, Vrabel, I actually texted him. I said, that was a pretty genius thing for a dumb jock. You know, like you almost <laughs> expect for a, a big kind of burly meathead linebacker that, that he's going to be more bronze and less brain when it comes to his coaching maneuvers. But that was a, a brilliant move, uh, almost taking advantage of a loophole. He had yeah. actually done something similar in the previous year against right. the Patriots and Bill Belichick. So Vrabel proving early on that um, being a hard-nosed coach, uh, being a guy who's who people think of him 
it's funny because the stereotypes about Vrabel are such that like players coach because he was a former player. I don't know that that's the truth because mm. he's harder on his players than just about any coach out there. And the other side of it is, uh, you know, just going to run the ball down your throat and just beat him with brawn when, when instead it's kind of like he's almost this disciplinarian cerebral guy. It just, mm. it, it's counter to what I think we expect from Vrabel, but, but the success he's having is actually um, more because of, of what I was mentioning. We talked a bit about them last time, actually, when you were on the show. And on the back of this Houston game, Tennessee, 601 yards of offense. Now, I know Derek Henry had about 47% of <laughs> get the maths right yeah, here. But, but the balance there. I yeah, mean, right. to have, a, to have a, a rusher that, that goes over 200 and a quarterback who throws more than 350, I think mm. was the first time uh, in NFL history, if not one of the very few. A few times, uh, right when you've had that happen. So look, it, it isn't just Derrick Henry. It is massively important that you have such an effective running back. Mm. But I do think that the balance that they've created, you know, it goes back to last year. Uh, Ryan Tannehill wasn't necessarily getting all of the credit in the playoffs because people saw Derrick Henry running. What they don't realize is that the result of those openings that Derrick Henry had was because teams were playing the Titans expecting to, to see Ryan Tannehill do what he did in the regular season. Having that balance, that one-two punch, is a great thing for any team, and it's proving as such for the Titans. It's a decent receiving core as well. Corey Davis in the mix as well, and, and Johnny Smith at tight end is, is, is kicking on. And, of course, an extra challenge now facing this well-oiled Titans offense. Really? Yeah. Missing Taylor Luan, that's going to be a blow for them, but a big challenge for the steel is not just in this game for, for the rest of the season with Devin Bush out, who's the, the captain of their defense, right. isn't he? Right. Yeah, no doubt. And, and as you mentioned, Taylor Luan, that's going to be an interesting one, left tackle, uh, how they overcome that. But look, this Titans team has, has overcome a lot. I mean, think about what they've gone through with COVID. Um, mm. Basically, the, their situation, they're, they're pretty much the hardest hit team in the NFL when it comes right. to having to deal with no practices. And they've ripped off two consecutive wins as a result. So it seems like the type of team that is not, um, is not just dependent on, on one or two players, but rather uh, dependent on sort of the culture that they're, they're sort of building there. In terms of how the Steelers a- approach this, particularly with the absence of Bush as well, because as, as Henry demonstrated in, in, you know, completely against Houston, but yeah. prior to that, he had had an interesting season because he was prolific in terms of, overall yardage and certainly scoring but his yards per carry had been quite limited mm-hmm. in a number of games and uh, that didn't seem to offset or impact this offensive game plan at, at all of the titans so even if you can contain henry to a respectable yards per carry right they can still they will still get enough productivity out of him and to your point have enough elsewhere in, the, in this offense right. so how do the Steelers approach the Titans what is the what do you think are the keys to at least stifling this offense well you know clearly we haven't seen um we haven't seen a team do it well to date given the fact that they're undefeated but I just think that you know it'll be interesting if you can apply enough pressure to Tannehill the difficult part about Tannehill is that like he, he what, what's made this team so effective uh, is the fact that he is a much more mobile quarterback than I think people give him credit for. Right. One of the best runners in the NFL at the quarterback position. So the tough part about it is, and I'm not really answering your question because it's, di- it's a difficult one, is that the second that you think you can contain Derrick Henry, 
And the second you think if we can get enough pressure on Tannehill and force him sort of into the pocket and make those decisions, he'll just roll out with some play action and beat you with his legs. So um, to answer the question, I don't really know. I'm not sitting here saying that, that the, the Titans are some juggernaut. I just think that mm. they present enough challenges that they can do different things. I mean, what's really impressive about them, it's kind of like what we saw from the Chiefs this week. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chiefs are obviously so good at, at the, the passing game, right? Mahomes is incredible. He's got these weapons. But all of a sudden, they're seeing these looks and they're saying, oh, you're going to try to take away the passing game? Watch yep. what we can do with our running game. It's a and great just, point. Just give it to uh, Edward Solaire the entire game. Oh, so yeah. I think that the Titans are just as capable of doing that as the yep. Chiefs, which is obviously a, a pretty high standard. It's a great point. You look at the, how the Bills were playing that. They were just all rocking back into coverage and, yeah. uh, and, and getting absolutely burned. And now, of course, the, the Chiefs setting Lev Bell uh, will just accelerate right. that play if they, if they want to do it. I was working earlier on today with OCU Manura, who, of course, you will know uh, well yeah, and, and is a, a big figure in the NFL UK scene uh, these days. And we were doing a show to go, together and he explained how the Chiefs beat the Bills as death by a thousand cuts <laughs> yeah. just, which uh, is which is yeah. a different way normally it's you right. know death by one freaking one knockout blow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah no yeah. exactly right which which by the way what that does and what the titans have been successful doing is putting that on tape for other teams to say well damn what are we going to do now if they mm. do this to us you know yeah. so having that counterbalance not only hurts a team in game but it also hurts in their preparations because you have to spend time potentially defending everything, not just one thing. Big time. This one line on, on this Steelers deed, Devin Bush's absence notwithstanding, very good at the, against the rush for the majority of the season, 66.2 rushing yards per game, good, and, yeah. and also locking down the play action as well as a result. And of course, those two things are, are obviously connected, right? But in yeah. terms of play action defense, they're allowing the lowest quarterback rating and completion rate since the start of the season and we know they love to bring the pain as well they love to blitz so that's going to be minus Luan a really interesting battle isn't it that's a good recipe yeah especially with what I was talking about because I really do Mm -hmm. think that uh, that Ryan Tannehill thrives with that play action Um, I, I really I've always felt like he's been so effective when he allows himself to freelance sometimes if he gets too robotic in the pocket I think that's when he starts to struggle but when he uses his athleticism uh, that's when he's he's most dangerous. So if the Steelers can kind of you know stifle that a little bit, um, that could go a long way. Okay, let's uh, move on to Bucks Raiders. Another standout game, I think, this weekend. Vegas off a bye week, of course, right. and the Bucks off the back of smashing the Packers. It was a, a, a masterful performance, a, overall game plan, really, from Todd Bowles, wasn't it, against Aaron Rodgers? When you look at how right. he was deceiving him. On quite a few occasions, it takes a lot to confuse a veteran quarterback. It takes even more to confuse one of the best quarterbacks of his generation who has yep. seen it all. But there were definitely on, on the pick six, arguably on both picks, really. Uh, Rogers was confused by what he was seeing. He thought, yeah. is this cover two? Is it cover three? It was brilliant from Bowles. And yeah. for the first time this season, Rogers has been unsettled and looked look rattled. It's a good point. And it didn't necessarily seem like he was rattled because of the constant pressure. Mm. I mean, yes, at times the Bucks got to him as Ndamukong Sue did at the end of the first half. But in general, 
it actually, to your point, felt like it was more the looks that he was getting that confused him, which yeah. is so rare for Aaron Rodgers. Right. Uh, really great performance. The type that, you know, Todd Bowles, he keeps putting those together. Man, this defense, first of all, is hugely successful, but he'll be a guy that starts to get mentioned as a, a head coaching candidate again. But um, how much that helps to the offense of the Bucks to be able mm-hmm. to come out there and make those plays. That pick six changed the whole momentum of that game. So mm-hmm. um, to that point, uh, what, what a scary proposition, uh, a Tom Brady-led team that can actually count on his defense to be a championship caliber squad. That kind of reminds you of the Patriots of the early 2000s. And, and we right. know exactly what happened with them. Well, that story ended exactly. How does yeah. this Raiders offense match up with the Bucks D then? I mean, can, the, can its line handle the, the pass rush, for example? Because Tampa tied second in the league with, with 22 sacks on the year. Carr's right. been sacked eight times so far this year. So not horrendous, not incredible protection there so that's going to be quite a key battle if but we all know like most quarterbacks most mortal quarterbacks anyway that Derek Carr twice the player uh twice the player without pressure as opposed to with pressure right so can the line hold up yeah and exactly and as we pointed out that Todd Bowles is good at creating those kind of mismatches now the, Mm. the the question too by the way I think uh the Raiders offensive line had been sent home because of uh, some COVID issues right. as well. So if they can't get the full preparation, right. uh, it could make for an even a bigger challenge uh, given the, the confidence of the Bucks defense right now. So um, I, I think that that is, that is a potentially tough mismatch. And, and to your point, we're not, look, I'm not saying that the Bucks will play as well as they did against the Packers every week. We've seen them struggle at times this season, but if they have half the performance against Derek Carr that they had against Aaron Rodgers, mm. like to me, that's, that just puts, uh, again, you put the ball in Tom Brady's hands, and 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 to that point, if they oh, and w- one other point we should we should make here, mm. the fact that the Bucks were able to they were the most penalized team in the NFL coming into this game, and then literally didn't have a single penalty against them for just the second time in franchise history. I mean, what that's an incredible turnaround, and if yeah. that team, I was saying it through five weeks of the season the biggest problem the Bucks had was themselves. They kept shooting themselves in the foot with the penalties. Right. If they get rid of that and they can do that again against the Raiders, I mean, all of a sudden this team is absolutely trending toward, uh, yes, winning the division, but also having a really, really big run in the postseason. It's a great, it's a really great point. And, and, I, and I guess I was thinking about this in a totally different situation and a totally different caliber of team, but with the Cowboys and looking at their turnover yeah. differential, like that, that levels itself out eventually, right? If, you totally. Know. And that's the thing. The, the, the Bucks also didn't turn the ball over. I mean, right. turnovers and penalties. Like, and, and by the way, that's you know, the one question I had about Tom Brady's potential patience with the Bucks was if those discipline issues continue to crop up. That's the stuff that Bill Belichick took care of so well with the Patriots. Right. And that's on coaching. If you create discipline within your culture and you don't have those penalties, and, and to your point about the Cowboys, like – you can't have those turnovers. You can't have those penalties. And I'm not putting it all on coaching, but that starts in the middle of the week. Mm. And if you can go into a game and take that off of your quarterback's shoulders, for instance, it's going to be a lot easier um, for the offense to produce. Great point. It's a great point. On Derek Carr, briefly, Gruden just doesn't seem sold on him, Jeff. No, uh, it, never has. Is that, is that fair? I mean, a card like the Raiders, I guess, collectively just seems to flatter to deceive, right? And, you know, yeah, the, it's funny because I had heard, um, you know, the kind of the, the – it, it always felt to me 
talking to people like we all criticize Derek Carr, right? And the Raiders are kind of like, um, yeah, maybe he is a mediocre quarterback, but he's our mediocre quarterback. <laughs> it's like they're very protective of their sure. mediocre quarterback. And, sure. you know, I think that Derek Carr is a talented guy. Uh, but to your point, it feels like the organization wants to support him and wants to see him succeed. But at the same time, you just never feel like they're quite fully committed uh, to getting there. I, ju- yeah. I, ju- I don't know what it is. It just doesn't feel quite like um, the perfect marriage. It just, it feels yeah. more like a, a, a kind of, and it was really like, you know, uh, a marriage that someone said, Hey, you guys, you guys are together, make it work. And it just, they tried. Like a blind date. It was a blind, <laughs> we're basically yeah, saying, exactly. yeah, car agreed in a blind date. The, yeah. um, the interesting thing I think about Gruden when he got the gig was, has he been out of the game too long, out of coaching too long? Cause obviously yeah. he's, we're company men, Jeff, you know, he was a, you know, a part of the ESPN uh, galaxy, right. but that was a concern. And, and, and he seemed to knock that on the head pretty yeah. quickly that, yeah. uh, and, and it was, I think it was always a slightly fatuous argument anyway. Right. Cause he was covering the game in the detail that he was all across all the current personnel. You know, right. the idea that uh, he was out of touch was, was, was misguided. The other big thing when he got the gig was it's a 10 year contract. It's a 10 year deal. He's a few years in now into his third year. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Yep. How do you think it's, it's projecting so far? Well, or absolutely on the fence right now. So I think it's going well, and it actually brings us full circle to what we were talking about at the start with right. the idea of having that cohesiveness. Because mm-hmm. when you have that 10-year contract guaranteed, like you can make some bold decisions early and not you know, face the wrath of them. You can see them through, and mm. that's going to be the case for Gruden. So he can have conviction in his decisions with the safety net of knowing that he's going to get the chance to see what happens with them. So uh, I I think that in that case, when you have a guy, by the way, who did prove himself somewhere else, you stick with him, you know, not you stick with him by design, you know, through that long contract. Um, I think you you see that come to fruition a little bit with the success that they're starting to have. So, Mm. you know, Gruden is not for the faint of heart. You know, he, he makes <laughs> tough decisions yeah. and he doesn't sugarcoat much. So mm. you do have to have some patience with, with that sort of a, a coaching plan. Uh, and, and, you know, for the Raiders, it feels at least like they're starting to see some of the benefit of that. I was talking to on this show, I think it was the other day with uh, uh, one of our guests about Gruden resembling more and more uh, Tony D'Amato from any given Sunday. He's just kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting to that, getting to that phase of his career now, which I love. Just, just seen it all, done it all, no nonsense. Um, yeah, I just want to see the inches. I want to see the inches speech. I want to see the speech. Gruden's <laughs> inches speech, or just telling when, when uh, Pacino tells Jamie Fox just to go out and play ball like he did as a kid. I can just see him yeah. say that to Carr in the playoffs this year. Yeah, and, but then throwing a pick and then yeah, Gruden being exactly. like, you know what? That was a terrible idea. Go back to what one more on this game, and then we'll talk uh, very briefly, uh, Seattle, Arizona. I just want to ask you about Gronk, because a lot of headlines, of course, given the fact that he appeared right. in terms of yeah. production for the first time this season, uh, scored, had five or six catches, and, and looked a little bit like the, the Gronk of old. But he's, he's obviously never going to be like uh, exactly like the, the Gronk of old. So what can his role in this offense be, do you think, this year? Well, first of all, I had, I had mentioned um, – something I don't know if it was on air on ESPN or, or maybe on Twitter or something about uh, about Gronk and you know he wasn't quite 
see in the production, but he still seemed like an effective player, but just wasn't mm-hmm. quite where they were, where he needed to be. And I had a former NFL head coach text me on solicit and be like, Hey, I've been studying him and he's actually really effective in the blocking game. And I know right. that Bruce Arians has mentioned that. Um, but it, sometimes it feels when a coach says that, that you're just trying to protect your tight ends confidence. Mm. And, uh, but this guy said, no, no, he has been actually very effective, mm. um, which is a little bit of a different role for him. Cause we're so used to seeing the Gronk spike and the touchdowns. That being said, it was nice to see him in this game uh, get some confidence. And I think that that, I, I, I think that's by design, you know, Brady throwing a couple of balls up to him and say, go get him. And he did. Mm. The one difference that I think that they maybe are, are working through is the speed. It feels like Gronk is lumbering a little bit. I'm not saying he's ever been 4-2-40 kind of speed, but right. it does feel like he's, he's, he's not quite as fast as he once was. Mm. And as such, um, they're adjusting to it. And mm. if you, I, I think what's, what you saw in this game was let him get to where he needs to go and, and just let him go up and grab it. Yeah, because that hasn't changed. His physicality right. hasn't changed. So we saw that in this game with the five catches. Mm. I think we'll continue to see um, more of that as we move forward. It's a really interesting point you raise, actually. When you look at which positions in the NFL in particular, players can adapt as they get older and they're, ultimately their athletic right. uh yeah. set changes in the same way that you see this in football and in, in, you know, European football, you know, certain players lose pace and they have to readjust or someone like Ronaldo is a good example of that, who essentially redefined himself as an out and out striker, as opposed to, uh-huh. you know, a winger cutting in and, and Pirlo midfielder, same kind of thing, just dropped deeper and deeper. He didn't have the physicality to necessarily play the game he used to play, but just dropped deeper and was, and is actually often, Refi- uh, def- referred to as a quarterback just pinging yeah. the ball around even though he's <laughs> lost uh, well, lost a bit of edge you know what's funny is we were talking about another quarterback in ben roethlisberger the steelers game uh right i saw some stats about ben that he actually has the um shortest yards per throw average that he's ever had in his career and his mm-hmm. release is much faster and and he and he you know he's coming off the elbow surgery and he essentially said yeah like, I recognize that I have to change my game. We're used to seeing Ben take the risks downfield. Yeah. But more and more, he's just doing these short passes, redefining yeah. himself. Interesting. Same way that maybe you see from Gronk. You yeah. Know, you, you, you take advantage of your cerebral experience in the game and, and maybe say, okay, I can't do this as well over here, but now I know the game so much better, so I can do this over here. Yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, one more for you. Seattle, Arizona. Uh, very quickly, the Arizona Cowboys scoreline – Maybe painted a slightly deceptive picture about where this Arizona team is, in particular this offense is, right? Because, of course, three scores came off of turnovers. We talked about Dallas just coughing up the ball left, right, and center. And Kyler obviously had some explosive moments like the 80 Kirk, but wasn't, you know, didn't throw the ball all that much at all. And and when he was, wasn't wildly accurate with it. Yeah. I what can't figure this one out. Right. I'm actually going to be at this game, and I, I, mm. I don't know about Arizona. I, I'm not – I get it. Like, you watch those, to your point, the explosive plays of Kyler, you see the potential. I just, like, can't quite buy in yet. And I'm not saying he won't get there. Um, it just – by all means, he, he has the weaponry to, to, to kind of – the skill set to do it. Mm. But I, it, it just feels like he's, it's not quite there. And, and by the way – when you're not quite there yet, when you're still developing that chemistry, you tend to do rely on what you can do best, which is run the ball and, and make explosive plays. So 
um, credit to them. You know, they kind of feel like a, a teenager where they're just sort of getting their right. legs under them and they're, they're just doing what they can do best mm. while they figure out the rest of it. So if they can get wins and they seem to be improving uh, in that capacity until they can figure the rest out, I guess that's a good thing. But against a well-oiled machine like Seattle, I just don't think that it's, I mean, he would have to really emerge in a different way than we saw against the Cowboys for me to believe that he's going to have a chance of beating them. Seattle have got Jamal Adams back, uh, expected to be back. They need him, right? Because despite the fact they've obviously collectively had a a strong start to the season, defensively, there there are obvious flaws here as well. So Jamal Adams and and his progression within this unit integral to their ultimate success, isn't he? It felt like that's the reason, you know, I mean, you, you don't give up as much as they gave up to get a player if you don't, A, recognize that you are a championship caliber team, uh, and B, that you're missing something uh, to get there. And, right. and so getting him back is exactly, you know, it puts them back to where they felt, you know, they, they recognize their deficiencies in the offseason. This puts them back in the spot where, you know, they can get to that full strength mode. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's huge. It's, it's monumental. The most important thing, I think, for the Seahawks in a really tough division, mind you, it's not easy to get to the playoffs, but it will be, having those guys healthy for that final stretch down the season. More so, I think, than, than right now. Yeah. The Seahawks offer bye, of course. Where is Pete Carroll in your power rankings in the NFL of coaches offer bye? I mean, Belichick's got to be number one, right? Andy Reid's got to be up there. Pete I think Carroll's I was going to say Andy Reid. I, yeah. I think that he had maybe a couple losses recently off a of really? bye. Okay. But in general, he was like unbelievable for mm. years. Like yeah. never lost. Um, yeah, Pete Carroll too. You know what? I think uh, a player told me that played for Andy Reid, he told me that um, why he thought that Andy was so successful after a bye, he sends everybody home. He gives them a break. He doesn't right. pound. Like, it's not like he says, oh, we, we have an extra week. We're going to be, oh, we're going to prepare even more. And that's why we're so good. It's actually the opposite. He's right. like, you know what, guys, go get your rest. Go get some fresh legs and come back. And uh, Pete Carroll also seems like that kind of guy, you know. Right. Like, he's been around long enough to recognize the, the, uh, the benefit of rest. So anytime you have the- a veteran head coach who's got um, Super Bowls on his resume, I generally think that they're best after a bye because they just don't, they don't overthink it. Bit more chill. As opposed to getting them, you know, running up hills and chopping right. wood in the snow like Rocky IV or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they exactly. experienced. So do you think this is Seahawks' fairly straightforward win? I do. Um, you know, again, I, maybe I'm sleeping on Arizona because I haven't watched them enough. Mm. But, um, but I, I, from what I have seen, I just don't think that they're quite there. Um, there, it's, and by the way, it's such a tough division. I mean, you know, you put the Rams, I would have, th- like, when you look at the Rams, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and, um, and the Cardinals, like, you have the Seahawks up top, you had the Rams probably second, if not mm-hmm. one, and then all of a sudden the 49ers throw that into the flux and, and mm-hmm. beat the Rams. So, you know, as much as I'm inclined, I would have been inclined to say that the Rams would roll the 49ers last week. So right. it's a tough division, and, and these division games can go either way. Um, that said, my inclination is to say that, yeah, Seahawks will handle them. The Seahawks keep it rolling. Uh, as you have as well, Jeff, another fine performance on the show. Yeah, really thanks. appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. Check it soon. We'll talk soon. Lovely stuff from Jeff. We will be checking in with him very, very soon. Appreciate 
his insight, his smarts. Really, really good stuff as ever. Let's move things quickly along. Delighted to welcome our next guest to the show. She's one of the key parts of Sky Sports NFL coverage. She has a brand new show on the Sky NFL channel that I'm sure she'll tell us all about. And we'll get into some of the big stories from the last few days in the NFL with her. Hannah Wilkes making her debut. She's the host of the brand new show on Sky Sports NFL Overtime. Welcome to our show, Hannah Wilkes. Thanks, Nat. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be with you via video, at least. Yeah, we're making it work. You know what? I mean, I was thinking about this because obviously this is the first time we've had you on this show. We, we've had a, we had a few beers at the Atlanta Super Bowl, I think, right? Mm. After we saw the Around the NFL live gig. But most of the time when we see each other, we are rushing around, typically in opposite directions, like yeah. in the, you know, the bowels of a stadium, on Radio Row, with our you know, respective crews, like, hi, bye, zipping around. So it's good to actually get you on the show and finally have, be able to have a chat with you about football. Absolutely. I was thinking, I was like, when did I last see that? And I, I think it was probably around this time last year, actually, because in right. a parallel universe would be Tottenham or Wembley, wouldn't we, this weekend, I think. Right. I mean, it was literally walking opposite directions through the bowels of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like, hey, you're right, yeah, good. Yeah. And keep on moving. So, yeah, it's nice to actually yeah. chat to you properly. There's a ton I want to get into. We're going to talk about some of the big news stories this week as well, because we've had Jeff Darlington on earlier. We were keen in on some of the, the big games. So I'm going to rattle through, if we have time, some rapid fire. We'll try and do together some rapid fire picks for some of the games a bit later on. But before we get to any of all, any of that, I want to talk about your new show, Overtime, right? So brand new Sky Sports NFL channel and a brand new show for you. If our listeners haven't seen it yet, tell us more about what they could expect. If they haven't seen it yet, what on earth are they doing on Tuesday well, evening? Um, so every Tuesday at nine on Sky Sports NFL, uh, myself, Josh Denzel, and then it's been Rob Ryan. He'll be with us for a couple more weeks or, you know, someone else in the studio. So it's basically a highlights show, but it's much more than that. So we look back, we pick a couple of the big games of the week um, and we bring you highlights of our kind of two game of the week picks. We bring you all the touchdowns from around the league or at least the best ones because there have been so many this year. We can't quite fit them all in. Uh, we bring you up to date with everything going on on social media. So, you know, NFL players are all over it. So all the things Good you might have missed. Usually we've got some Cam Newton in a snazzy outfit. We've usually got some cool cleats from somewhere. But basically, whatever's been blowing up social media, we'll bring you up to date with. Um, we also talk a fair bit of fantasy football, um, which I know everyone's always obsessed with their own lineup. And I have to remind myself, no one else cares who's on my team. They only <laughs> right. care about their own. Uh, and we also speak to Kay Adams from Good Morning Football over on right. the NFL Network in New York. She joins us for her always stellar fantasy football tips i think you're a you're a fool if you don't tend to follow her advice because she she gets fantasy in a way that no one else can so yeah it's a really fun hour we pack a lot into it we also do pickums um with mixed results mm. <laughs> um, yeah it's it's great fun and it's a good way to sort of round up the week before yep. we move on to the next one because it's relentless isn't it in the season oh uh, isn't it just are you a decent fantasy player Oh, I'm, I'm in two leagues at the moment. Mm. And in one of them, I think I've only got one win. And on the other one, I've, I've, after three losses in a row, I'm making a bit of a resurgence. So it's really hit and miss. And I think, I think it's impossible to be consistent because you can have all the gut feelings in the world and feel like you're making all the right choices based on the matchups. But particularly with how things have gone this year, people come out of nowhere, results come out of nowhere. Um, so it's so hard. I'm an enthusiastic player. I wouldn't say I'm the best at it, but it's fun, right? That's what it's all about. Adds a bit of, a bit of extra drama as if we need it to all the games on a Sunday. 
I wish I was a bit more disciplined with fantasy. I always end up because the radio gig that I do, we normally start at five o'clock, and usually you can count on me at four fifty-seven. Thinking, oh, God, oh. <laughs> reaching for my phone and setting my setting my line up. I need to focus a bit more. I think is is the moral of the story. You do have to be disciplined. I've actually been away from my phone for a couple of hours this afternoon, and one of the leagues I play in, well, both leagues have got a WhatsApp group. But I came back to about forty-five WhatsApps in one of the groups, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't. This is this is too much. <laughs> but yeah, trade season is hotting up. That's for sure. Big time. Hey, listen, before we get into some NFL news, the other thing I, saw, I caught you on the other day on Sky was the Weber Cup coverage, right? Uh, ten pin bowling. And I, I've got to ask, right? How tempted have you been being on... Are you on set for it? I can't remember. If you, you're there. Yeah, you are on set, right. To when everybody's done and, and the action's finished for the day, just to rock up with some of the crew and do your best Bill Murray. <laughs> King wow. King, come on. You're actually the second person that's asked me that today. And that there is one major factor that kills any temptation for me to do that. And that is the fact that I am a shockingly bad bowler. <laughs> and when you're around, you know, I think four of the guys competing are in like the top eight on the PBA tour out in the States. So there's a, limit, there's a limit to how much you want to embarrass yourself. <laughs> in front of me. Wait till they've all gone. Wait till they've all gone home. Put the bumpers <laughs> up, Hannah. That's what, that's what I do. <laughs> This is the other problem. There are no bumpers, which I think is a shocking, shocking time of event. And also the players bring their own balls. So once they go, the balls are gone. It's not no like your local, local bowling alley where there's, there's somewhere. <laughs> They're all their own balls on the lane. So sadly, I have yet to, uh, I've yet to make my maiden ball on the Weber Cup lane, but it was a lot of fun. We're actually in a, we were in a uh, COVID secure bubble. So I feel like I've been released into the world now. It's over. I wanted to walk earlier. I was like, fresh air, daylight. But no, it was a lot of fun. Back. Oh, it looks a lot of fun and it blew my mind watching just strike 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 <laughs> that's how is this how is this even possible all right let's get down to get down to some nfl business then so want to talk about the dolphin situation because mm. there are a number of things developing with this not least fitz's response to to losing the starting gig after we saw Tua coming in last week and getting a few snaps at the end of the game against the jets in in, in junk time we saw Fitz on the sidelines, hyping up the crowd, just doing what, behaving in the way that we love Fitz for just a team player, a charismatic character. And clearly at that point, he had no idea that this was quite probably going to be his last hurrah as a Finn because 40 hours later, they announced Tua as their starter. Is this the right move, Hannah? Oh, that's a, it's a complicated question, isn't it? And I have to say, when you look back at those celebrations from Fitz and he was doing everything that a veteran quarterback is meant to do when he's got a rookie under his wing, he was his biggest cheerleader. And yeah. you can't help but think that moment is probably replaying over and over in his mind since they made that decision. That announcement. Right. I'm just thinking, oh God, I was, I was literally whooping for joy. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, we, we knew from early on last season that the Dolphins were going all out for Tua mm-hmm. and it feel it, it, it feels rushed it feels a little bit sudden in the way that it's happened because he played what two three snaps like you say in garbage time he looked good great yep. don't get me wrong um and now he's got the starting job I suppose Brian Flores has always said that when the time is right when he seems like the right guy whoever's giving them the best chance of winning is going to be the guy and they're mm-hmm. three and three their second in the AFC East behind the Bills, uh, which is a position they haven't been in for a very long time. And the focus has got to be, right, at this point, okay, we've got ourselves a real chance here. We need to be getting to the playoffs. 
And Ryan Fitzpatrick, as much as we all love him, he hasn't made the postseason in 15 NFL seasons. And if you look at the stats, and they are saying this has got nothing to do with how he's performing, but he's thrown 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Mm. That's not... That's not a ratio that's going to potentially keep you going all the way through to January. Right. So it feels quite rushed. But then also, because I think just because it's so sudden from mm. that couple of minutes on the field on Sunday to you've got the gig. But then you look at other teams and when they've had these first round draft picks and how they've utilized them. And you can't help thinking, is there ever, is there ever a wrong time to start your the future start the quarterback that you're hoping for big things from you think look what Lamar Jackson did back in 2018 mm. Ravens were having a terrible season and then he turned it around for them and they made a playoff run when they when they started him yep. you think the Chiefs have been in a Super Bowl a year earlier if Patrick Mahomes hadn't been sat on the bench while Alex Smith played his first season so I mean Brian Flores is, is entitled to make his decisions um he's always said that you know Whoever is, whoever is the best position to, to have them win, yeah. then he will. Um, and he obviously thinks that that's two at the moment. He said he's been great in practice, looking comfortable. Of course, as well, don't forget, they've got a bye week this week, so he's got more time to prepare. Best time but to bring a rookie in, yeah. It is, but also you look at who they then play when they come back from that bye week and they're up against the Rams, which take or leave what you think of the Rams out of it. He's going to start, he's going to be facing off with Aaron Donald. Welcome now, to the NFL. Right. <laughs> I know, right? Like the Jets. We saw how he welcomed Alex Smith back. What do you think right. he's going to try and do to do it? I mean, two is definitely more mobile than Alex Smith. But, I mean, there's, there's never, you know, there's always a too late point, I guess, to, mm. to start your, your future. And for Dolphins fans, this is really exciting. And don't forget as well, there's no guarantee this is permanent for the rest of the season. If he has a few disastrous games, which hopefully he won't, we all want to see him perform. But if it doesn't work or it's not working, then Fitzpatrick is still there. He'll be back in. And I think been good to see from Fitz how he's already despite talking about how heartbroken he is also like I have to put that aside and I have to be there and, and support him he's got a, he's got a lot of maturity in class that man well on that and I agree with everything you said I think is is, is spot on I know, I know the counter argument and you mentioned it in in passing with Mahomes and, and Andy Reid and it's a great point you make actually because we were chatting about this earlier today I was with OC and J-Bell and I made the same point because I'm a big fan of letting quarterbacks sit if if you can right and normally it's a self-perpetuating cycle right if you are drafting a quarterback in the first round early doors certainly top 10 it's because your team isn't very good your team's probably not going to be immediately good next season the fans want the new young quarterback in right and so i get that most of the time it's not possible but the most obvious example is aaron Rodgers under Favre, but also mahomes under uh, eric reed uh, andy reed and i was saying to jay bell and OC, why don't more teams do this? Why did the, the Dolphins, they're not serious playoff contenders. They can't really think they are, even in the East. Why didn't they just let him sit for two-thirds of the season, most of the season? On the one hand, as, as J-Bell was saying, well, you can only learn this gig by doing this gig. And, and there's a that lot of validity in, in, in that. But as OC said, to your point on Mahomes and the Chiefs, we don't know. If, if he'd gone in a year earlier, he might have been... Straight away, like that, knowing Mahomes, he probably would have been right. A lot of has been said about him sitting under, learning from Alex Smith, and and and, and clearly that has been fundamental to his quick acclimatization to the NFL. But with a player of that caliber, and Tua is in that same at that same level potentially, right? Then it's a great point you make. He could roll in, but Fitz, let's talk about that for a minute because he is a class act. We love him. There, my favorite thing, the beard. 
fit scrambling for a first down is my favorite thing, I think, in maybe the history of, of sport, but definitely wow, not that's a big right statement. Uh, I basically got fired yesterday, and today my day consisted of Zoom meetings with the guy that fired me and sitting in a room with the guy who replaced me for four hours. It, I said, were you surprised, Hannah, that he, not surprised that he's annoyed with the situation, surprised that he didn't bite his tongue? What you mean by not making those comments? Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on Tour, and, and it also, it potentially divides the locker room a little bit, you know? I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, he's a vet think, that's got a lot of friends in that locker room. Yeah, I, I think you make an interesting point, and I have to admit, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, the whole situation from those comments makes you realise just what an absurd, you know, setup NFL teams are in a lot of ways, because that would never happen in any other job, would it? Right. Um, I, think, I think what we've got there from from Fitz is just unfiltered honesty. It's almost like given the situation, he can't hide his feelings because of what he's feeling. And this is a man that not that long ago, just a matter of weeks ago, lost his mum and didn't speak about it publicly, the effect that was having on him emotionally. Mm. Um, so he's someone that, you know, can can keep it in. It's not like he needs to say everything, but I think I think that raw emotion, you can't you can't hide it. You can't shy away from it. And, and also as well with the kind of character is if he'd just come out and just given, especially after making those whoops and hollers and jumps on the sideline, if he came out and just was like, yep, right man, right time, fine. Mm-hmm. It would feel very disingenuous. And mm-hmm. I think, I think we'd all be talking about it anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you say, it is surprising. I really hadn't looked at it like that, but I think that unfiltered honesty, I, I don't think it, puts too much pressure on two or I think it's more of a dig at a sort of you know how the news came out because this was circulating on Twitter well before it had been communicated to the players and and that is a gaffe on the part of, of Brian Flores it has to be said like that that is not okay that the fact that I think it was mm. Adam Schefter from ESPN was the one that right. was basically telling everyone that this was happening before I imagine Fitzpatrick had even had the conversation so I think it's probably more of a thinly veiled bar but that side of it than Tua because you know we know how much of an effort he's he's made to make Tua feel welcome he sort of facetimed mm. him with his family to introduce them when he first got to Miami and all the rest of it so yeah I don't think it puts pressure on Tua I think you know I think he'll really support him and I think they obviously have fostered a relationship there I think that's more a uh thanks for the way that was handled to yeah. the appreciate that guys thanks for that yeah. God, I would yeah. love to be the fly on the give <laughs> him all in that Zoom call. That would have been interesting. Um, all right, let's talk Dallas. They have the Washington football team this weekend off the back of the 38-10 loss to Arizona where uh, they were shellacked. As we were talking uh, about this with Jeff Darlington a bit earlier on, a slightly deceptive scoreline in a way given how profligate they were in the ball, Dallas, and they have been all season long, just coughing it up left, right and centre. But clearly offensively with Dalton in and Zeke, uh, not firing, they couldn't get anything going. It's a good bounce back opportunity against Washington, despite some of the, the defensive pieces they have. Of course, it is definitely one of the more favorable matchups you want to face if you want to try and get this train back on the track. However, this is the Dallas Cowboys are talking about uh, things going all the way. Speaking of the train to dysfunction Central Station, right? Because unattributed anonymous quotes coming out to NFL Network's James Slater which are extraordinary, right? So they are, among other things, criticizing the coaches here, uh, totally unprepared, Mike McCarthy's staff. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. That's something I can relate to. <laughs> uh, they just aren't good at their jobs, another player told 
uh, Slater. Uh, Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator, of course, has got a lot of previous, a lot of history with Mike McCarthy. And the suggestion is he's out of touch. He's out of his depth. It's jobs for the boys. And the fact that players have come out now and, uh, and said this, albeit anonymously, it, what does this tell you about how much of a mess this Cowboys franchise is right now? I mean, it tells you everything, really, doesn't it? Because you know, locker rooms generally look after themselves. You don't tend to hear comments like this from players apart from when it is real crisis times. And I know sort of Mike McCarthy and, and the coaching staff have, have kind of said, I've seen some quotes knocking around today, going, when it's an, an anonymous source, like take it with a pinch of salt. You don't know whether that's someone that is even still in the locker room and trying to play it down. But with Jane Slater's sort of immaculate reporting style I, right. I struggle to believe they're coming from anyone that's not currently in the locker room 100 percent. Um, yeah I think it just it just shows that they haven't got the belief system it was always gonna be hard for Mike McCarthy going in after so long under Jason Garrett and to sort of impose a, a style of play and perhaps a, a culture change there I mean it's obviously not working and I think the response that he's kind of come out with about no we're going to continue to develop our program committed to our system it's all it's all very surface level, but this is really concerning because NFL players just don't do this. And I think these are sort of quite cutting remarks. And I don't think, I don't think it's even just about the sort of defensive play calling as well. I think when you look at, when you look at how the whole setup is working in that you've got Mike McCarthy, who's this huge offensive coordinator, with this massive background in play calling. He's not making any calls. He's, you know, he's relegated to nothing on, on the sideline as, as Kellen Moore continues to make the call. So you wonder if there's frustration there. Um, the, 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 the adjustments don't seem to be happening as they play out these games. And I know you can kind of look and go, you know, their game, their game between them and Atlanta, which is you know, one of their wins. It could have so easily gone the other way. It all came down right. to that, that onside kick right at the end. It, it could have so easily, they so easily could be one and five this, this year. That's the fine margins we're talking about. And, I think they've got all these playmakers there, not consistently making plays. And you've just got to say, well, why not? What is not working? And as great as Kellen Moore is, he makes great play calls, designs fantastic schemes, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be much consistency or logic. He doesn't look to adapt. And I think this is where it's coming from. He doesn't look to adapt to what the opposing defense is doing. He sticks mm -hmm. to his playbook or, or what he wants to do. And I, I, I think that frustration mm -hmm. starts to, to creep up and, you know, I mean, the way they are performing, they need to be making adjustments and they clearly aren't making many. Um, yeah. it's, it really is sensational. It's the one NFL story, I think, this week, probably more so than the Tua thing, because I think eventually that was going to happen. You hear those comments and you kind of sit up and go, my goodness, they are, they are in trouble there and they need, they need to turn this around. Losing, losing Dak was bad. Losing the locker room is even worse. Right, there's no coming back from the latter, absolutely. And maybe from the former, if Dalton... Uh, can somehow get because uh, you look at the look at the caliber of backups in the NFL and Dalton's got to be in your top three right certainly for this kind of offense so uh, but of course it's all about giving him a bit of time and that's where the line's banged up even more right so the uh, another injury on the line uh, means that the backup left tackle's gone out now so I mean Washington uh, you know and Chase Young and co are going to look at this and uh, Montez Sweat who is is a dangerous player they're going to be looking at this and thinking this could get quite quite interesting. I it's a great point you make about Kellen Moore and it's kind of Wenger-esque, right? This is I'm just gonna we're gonna beat you this way and I don't care. We're not gonna change it. My way, my way. Yeah, my way, it, yeah. 
Yeah, you've got to think as well with with the way they brought Mike McCarthy in and Kellen Moore is still very much Jerry Jones's man. And you, you just wonder, is that is that something the players are hinting at as well? Just sort of, you know, is this current setup working? Should it should should it have been a different head coach? I don't know. I'm just, you I know, it's a, it's, a t- I think. it's a good it's a good theory. I think it's a tough gig hand, though, because Jerry Jones has his fingers all over that team. It's such a visible presence and owner. I just don't think a ser- a really serious, credible head coach or coordinator wanting to make the step up is going to take that job. You know, I don't. I think Josh McDaniel. It's Dallas. It's an amazing gig. I think someone like Josh McDaniel's, for example, right, or Eric Bieniemy is going to look at that and think there are easier landing spots. I mean, Belichick always talked about this with McDaniel around McDaniel's, or he was talked about around McDaniel's when. The Indianapolis Colts thing happened a few years back when he got cold feet and backed off. Belichick has had this imprinted on him because of his coaching tree. It's tempting, but only go into the right situation. Like, go into the right situation. I don't think Dallas, despite their money and their power and the status of the team, I don't think at the moment it can be the right situation for, for most coaches. And it's an interesting one as well, because when it was announced that it was going to be Mike McCarthy, you thought okay, right. this is a different character. Is he, go- is he going to be the guy that will kind of say to Jerry Jones, this isn't working, this is right. what needs to change. And that doesn't seem to have been the case at all. And you, you do wonder at what point Jerry Jones will start, if he ever will, I'm not sure he would, him adjusting how he does things. Because, you know, they are the Dallas Cowboys. They have, you've still got the America's team banner, but the fact is that they haven't been to a Super Bowl for, what, 25 years? They haven't made an NFC Championship game in a very long time. <laughs> so it's like at some point you have to start making adjustments because although like in all areas, because although you've, you've got the talent there on the field when everyone's healthy, which obviously is not the case in this current moment, but you've got the talent on the field. You've got the, you've still held on to this reputation and, and the allure of the Dallas Cowboys, but you need to be picking up more silverware and, and right. living up to that name. And you've got to, you've got to think bigger. Where are these changes and these flexes going to come? The craziest thing of all of this, and, and we've talked about some quite crazy things going on with Dallas, is they, they're still contenders for the playoffs, right? Because they're in the NFC oh. East. So, I mean, they could quite conceivably win it with a 7-9 a record. It utterly blows my mind. The NFC East is just like this, this being that I can't quite wrap my head around how it continues year after year <laughs> to be what it is. And I want to say no disrespect to the teams here, but come on. I mean, you look at the, look at the winning <laughs> records, you look at the standings and you think, yeah, Cowboys are two and four and they are in first place. And then you look you know, across the NFC West <laughs> and you look at that division, you think, okay, maybe we need to start mixing these up a bit because... Yeah, they could very well still be a playoff team. I do think extended playoff, expanded playoff field this year kind of goes some way to sort of level out a bit. But yeah, we need the NFC East to up its game. We really do. The rest of the NFC is, is firing on all cylinders this season. So they're letting us hide down. It's, it's textbook NFL, right? Because you know, back when I was starting out, the NFC East was the powerhouse. It was, you know, I mean, those giant Super Bowl teams, the Eagles under Andy Reid were always contenders. The Cowboys obviously were for most of the time. Uh, and now it is uh, now it is full circle. Um, we are pushed for time, uh, unfortunately, uh, which is a shame because we've got into a, a ton of stuff. But uh, I'm going to do one more for the road. And we'd love to have you back and get into more football chat later on in the season if that worked for you. Uh, one for the road. Okay, we got the Jets, Bills, and then Lions, Atlanta. Which head coach is more likely to get the bullet first this season? Do you think Adam Gase of the Jets or Matt Patricia of the Lions? Hmm, this is an interesting one. I, my gut 
reaction is Adam Gase. I think the Lions, although they are two and three at the moment, I think you see flashes, and we saw it last year as well, you see some flashes of, of, of great play and, and, and reasons to be positive. Mm. Um, yeah, and yeah, Adam Gase, I just think the Jets are the only team to still not register to win through six weeks of this season. There doesn't seem to have been much progression from one year to the next. Poor Sam Darnold is obviously out at the moment, but you just think, what is he actually capable of? We just don't know. Mm. I've just seen the, the, the fallout of, with him and Lev Bell and Lev Bell leaving. And again, it was similar to the Cowboy situation. You kind of go, has he got, has he got this locker room on side here? Or is it too much of a hole for them to climb out of? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think Lions, there are, there are some shoots of positivity occasionally. They're a bit few and far between. Um, but I think as well, I think in Detroit, they're possibly a bit more forgiving and they'll give him a little bit longer. Whereas I, I do feel like Adam Gase's days are numbered in New York. Yeah, I mean, quite conceivably, could go 0-16 as well. The Jets, are, it would be just, be, I mean, they are one of the worst teams I've, I think I've ever seen since I've been covering. The, I mean, they really are, aren't they? They're just, I mean. I have to say, I don't watch much of them. I think because there's, there's no point. Really? And that's, that sounds so hard. I watch the odd play when Sam Darnold does a bit of magic and gets himself out of trouble. And mm. you know, having watched the Dolphins game for the Dolphins side of things this week, watch them that way. But they're not a team you actively seek out to watch because there's just nothing exciting. I mean, they're completely shut out against the Dolphins this week. Like, I think it was the fourth quarter, perhaps, before they even made a third down. Like, it's just, it's painful. It's, it's tough if you're a Jets fan. I, I sympathize. Just, just forget what's going on now. Just deep dive into the past. Look, dig up some Joe Namath goodness because uh, that is, it's a bit like as a West Ham fan, I always, all the things are going all right at the moment, but I will always look back to Bobby Moore in times of need. That's what Jets fans need to do. Just, just, <laughs> just put Joe Namath up there and you'll be fine. You will get goodness out of that. Um, was that a tip of that? Are you a Dolphins fan? No, no, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> do you have a team? I'm a Rams fan. You're a Rams fan. Yeah, so I miss the glory days of 2018. Although I still, I I can't figure out where we sit this year. I Mm. did feel sort of build up to the start of the season. I was getting really aggrieved that we were getting consistently written off, ignored all this talk of a rebuild. And I'm like, look at this roster and look at this coaching staff. You can't write this team off. And there have been a couple of questionable performances. I mean, it wasn't great against the 49ers. When Jared Goff has a bad day, he does have a bad day. Um, and I know everyone's going to go instantly. Well, they've played the NFC East, and obviously yeah. with what I've just said about that, yeah. fair point to an extent, but you can only play the schedule you've got, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – I was concer- I had my moments of concern at the start of the season, measured with this, everyone's writing us off, and I don't think we're going to be that bad. Um, so I think it could be okay. I reckon, I reckon playoffs this year, for sure. I think – there are both Greg's on our show. So Rosenthal, who of course is, uh, you know, part of your coverage as well. Greg Brady, both big on the Rams this season. Greg was on our show on Monday, despite the 49ers loss was saying they're a definite playoff team. Greg Rosenthal preseason was telling us definite playoff team. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that is high praise indeed from those two. They are good football minds. So you can be confident about it. Were you an LA Rams fan, St. Louis Rams fan, original LA Rams fan? So I came to the NFL relatively, I want to say late in life, but that makes me sound older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm not that old. I'm oldish. Anyway, uh, so when I started watching, I started watching the NFL about 10 years ago, yeah. nine years ago, really. Uh, when I started working at Sky, actually, as a runner, yeah. I'd ne- I didn't grow up in an NFL household, really hadn't seen much of it. 
I mean, it was working on it that got me into it. So then it's like, okay, well, who am I going to support really? And for years I sort of dipped in and out of it and I kind of was trying to pick a team, but nothing felt quite right. And then it was around the time the Rams were moving mm -hmm. from St. Louis to LA and they did the all or nothing documentary and I watched all of it. Yeah. And I think when you haven't grown up with a sport, you need something that makes you feel connected mm. to the people playing it. Um, and yeah, so I was watching that and they were coming to London that year as well. So I was going to watch them play. Um, was so that was Goff's first season? Was that, is that right? Was he, was yeah. he, yeah, when he's a rookie in Ed? Yeah, I think they played at Twickenham that, did they play Twickenham that year, I think? Or was that the year after? Because I think, was it, I think in Hard Knocks when he, was it, was it there on Hard Knocks as well? Or anyway, yeah. So, because I remember Goss' first season, he, and he t there was some, uh, God, I'm sure our listeners will fire this out at the NC show if you remember this, but Goss, did, they wound up about a sunset or he couldn't believe yeah. that. Right? He, didn't that? Know, he didn't know whether the sun rose in the east or the west <laughs> yeah. consistently. Amazing. I have to say, I feel has, 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 has harmed him and how people perceive him in terms of intelligence level ever since. Um, I think, I can't remember whether it's hard knocks all or not. I think it was all or nothing. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either yeah. way, it was one of those, one of those very good So anyway, that's how I sort of got into to supporting the Rams. And I've seen them play more than any other team as well by this point. So um, in, in real life. Um, so yeah, and also you kind of, it's a strange one, isn't it? Every kind of other team I thought about maybe just didn't quite fit. So but they connected. It's a good pick. You've chosen wisely, Annie. Chosen wisely. Listen, congratulations on the overtime show. Give that one more plug. Uh, so Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. on Sky Sports NFL, which is surely the only channel that your listeners ever have on their TV anyway these days. You are talking to an ESPN show, but we share the love. We share the love, of course we do. Um, in the UK, I mean. <laughs> it's great to catch up with you, uh, finally. Uh, do come back and see us soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Hannah. Take care. Lovely stuff from Hannah. Looking forward to checking in with her soon. Go check out the show Overtime on Sky Sports NFL. Saluting Jeff from across the pond as well. Ditto, Marley, Tom, Andy on our social channels at the NC Show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you haven't already, incidentally, spend 10, 15, maybe even 25 seconds leaving us a review on whichever platform you listen to because, hey, it works in terms of spreading the word of the show, helps us with the Worldwide Leader, helps us with our sponsors, and most importantly of all, puts a big smile on the faces of Harry and Ollie, and that makes me a happy man. Uh, so uh, get behind us if you can. We would massively appreciate that. We're back Monday, looking back at what I guarantee is going to be another whirlwind Sunday of NFL action. We'll see you then. Bye for now, Dan. Podcast Network.